Welcome back. Tim Weisberg with you. It is 8.07 here at the new 1420 WBSM. And very glad to welcome back to the WBSM airwaves uh, a man who needs no introduction to the radio listeners of this area. And uh, and for anybody who is a fan of Spooky South Coast, you remember his appearance with us a few years ago on that show as well. We have joining us the radio legend himself, Dave Kane. Good morning, Dave. How are you? Hi. Good morning, Tim. Thanks very much for inviting me to be here. This is great. And I think it's really special for for the audience to hear a familiar voice at a time when, you know, we were talking in the first hour about the uh, some of the lack of journalistic integrity and some of the lack of uh, the ability of people to differentiate opinion from fact uh, in, in today's media. And you were always somebody that never had a problem bringing up your opinion, but you, you knew when it was Dave's opinion and when it was fact. Well, I tried to make it clear that, you know, this is many times I'd say at the end, well, then again, what do I know? (laughs) You know, I mean, uh, there is a a difference between fact and fiction or opinion. Uh, But but uh, overall, I think uh, I've tried to make it clear how I felt about whatever it is. And uh, then let people, because, as you know, in broadcasting, after you say good morning, you've offended somebody. Absolutely right. And uh, especially uh, sometimes on this station, we forget to give the, the Red Sox scores or, or the weather, and that's Uh-oh. that's like radio suicide here, you know, because... Sacrilege, when, sacrilege. Yeah. yeah. The, the, <laughs> the good thing about w- when you were able to bring to the OAS, too, and you still do, by the way, we shouldn't talk in a past tense, uh, but you were able to also incorporate some characters as well, which allowed you to express some of that stuff in a, in a fun and entertaining way. <laughs> Well, yeah, we, I just kind of went by the seat of my pants. You know, the, the, the secret to somebody commented to me the other day about how how relaxed or I felt on the on the air or, or gave them the feeling I was relaxed. It's because I never thought anybody was listening to me. <laughs> I really never thought. I, you know, they say, oh, we find out in the of we had a lot very good audiences. But I just never thought anybody was listening. So I, I wasn't concerned or nervous. I just did what I felt like I wanted to do. That, that's the key is if you can stop worrying about, it, you know, the listeners as as the audience and listening to them more as just, you know, your friends that you're talking to each day. And, and when you can, exactly. it makes for better conversation, I feel. And also it, it takes a lot of that pressure off. Also, uh, one of the things I used to do when I was training young broadcasters, I, I teach them not to say, um, ladies and gentlemen, or all of you, or do any of you, because if I'm listening to the radio, it's just me in the room or in the car. When when I hear an announce say to me, uh, you know, good morning, everybody, and I'm looking around, I'm saying, who's he talking to? You know? <laughs> well, everybody. So what I've always done is just talk to one person. Uh, one of the ways I've done that is to remember my mother. My mother used to have a radio on her kitchen table, which was against the front windows. And there were two windows, and in the middle would be sitting this radio. And I remember the voice coming out of that radio. And so I, I try to be that person and talk just to just to my mother or whoever may be listening. And, and that's what's great about it is it's that, it's that personal connection for everybody. Everyone has that moment where they realize uh, – yeah, he's talking to, to thousands of people on the air each day, but it still never leaves the back of your mind that they know that you're out there. I, I just I, I always go back to when I was a kid and the difference that it made in television programs that I used to watch as I'm learning and developing when you had a show that talked to you uh, and when you had a show that would talk around you. You know, the fact that when they would yeah, address well, the audience, you, you learned a lot more. Well, Mr. Rogers did that, didn't Absolutely, he? Absolutely, yep. He spoke right to you. And... And uh, and so and so that was 
that was a real a lesson to everybody. Um, one of the people that I used to, to admire when I was too young to know any better was uh, Arthur Godfrey, um, who had a great way of talking to the audience, always one-on-one. And, and the good thing about it is even no matter what our, you know, whatever technology we have, whatever apps we use, whatever uh, tablet device we use, no matter how it is that we connect with other people now, it's still it's that voice that comes through. And, and I think for that matter, uh, for that purpose, radio will never go away. It might change a little bit in the way that it operates. It might change a little bit in the way that it comes to you and it's delivered to you. But in the end, it's just about that connection of someone saying something and someone hearing it and reacting. Yeah, it's always that personal connection, isn't it? I mean, that's what we're really looking for. The reason we have a radio on, uh, when I used to work the road a lot, when I was on the road doing shows, uh, I always uh, left a, a, a TV on in the hotel room, as an example, or, or a radio if they had one, because you, you need that personal contact. You need to not feel alone, and that's what's important and, and the great um, contribution that radio makes. And, uh, and and when when exactly uh, did you depart WBSM? Uh, I know it was it was it in the mid nineties. Oh, I it was no, it was um, <clears throat> yeah, I think it was probably uh, 80, 89 or ninety around there somewhere. Yeah, um, actually, I'd, I'd been there twice. I had worked earlier on uh, for previous owners, and I then I left and went other places. You know, you know how the business is. You know, your first hello is. The beginning of your last goodbye. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Absolutely. And, and so, um, but something that did happen that was kind of funny. Uh, several years ago, I was invited to was it your 40th anniversary on the air? I think. It was. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. And and they they had a big party uh, in New Bedford, and they invited me to come. You know, they bring all the old radio celebs and blah blah blah. So I went, and um, and I was kind of laughing because when we got there. Um, all these guys that had worked at the station, and in this business, as you know, most of the time you don't you don't retire; you get bounced. You know, <laughs> and uh, so anyway, they introduced me, and we were talking, and, and I said to the host, um, "I just have one question." I said, "You think I did a good job?" "Oh yeah, you were great." I said, "We had good audience." "Oh, we had a huge audience listening to you every afternoon." I said, "So my question is, why did you fire me?" <laughs> <laughs> That's how it and, works, though. Uh, because Huh? That's how it works, though, isn't it? You'd... Yeah, exactly, of course. you know, And you notice people who are in other businesses, they always get very tense when they say, oh, my God, you were fired. But that's that's just part of the gig here. That's just the way it goes. Sure. that's And, and that's what somebody told me when I started. Uh, you know, I've been doing the Spooky South Coast show for, for just about a decade now, but when I started working Saturday mornings and, and it moved to more general talk, uh, somebody made the comment to me and they said, just remember that uh, it, it's all, every time you go on the air and you press the microphone and you get to go on the airwaves, just be thankful it's another day that you weren't fired. <laughs> so, yeah, well, because every time you open your mouth, how, you take the risk. I don't know how thankful you can be. <laughs> Sometimes when I've been bounced, it was a blessing. Yeah, well, it's all part of growth as a person, Dave. That's the way you got to look at it. Sure. Everything's I'll just a step. I'll try to do my best to see it that way. A step in the journey. Well, Thanks, Tim. When we first did talk to you on, on Spooky South Coast, uh, that was back in 2007. And, uh, and and back then, it was the the anniversary of the station nightclub fire. Now it's been, it's been 12 years now, 12 years yesterday. And I can't yeah. imagine that in that time, uh, the loss of your son, Nikki O'Neill, I can't imagine that it's gotten any easier o- over those 12 years. 
Well, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't it doesn't get better; it gets different. Mm-hmm. But um, one of the things, and I know you're very familiar with this, Tim, is is we don't believe that we've lost him. And uh, I've been on a crusade since that time to let people know that our loved ones don't go anywhere; that they are around us and here. But we're so busy using words like lost or, or saying things in past tense uh, that uh, we train ourselves not to be aware uh, that our loved ones are with us always. Uh, I wrote a book about it, as you know, called 41 Signs of Hope. And it's about all of the wonderful signs that we get from Nick and have gotten them beginning the day after the fire. And it has gone on now for 12 years. It, to me, I, I've always felt that way. I've always felt that uh, when when we leave this version of ourselves, uh, whether or not you believe in heaven, whether or not you believe in, in an idea of an afterlife, there is a transition of who we are into something that's way more important than what we are when we're in this mortal coil. So when somebody does pass, you know, the loss is only in our own mind. Anyway, you know, the, the loss of that is only it's just because we we have to adapt. And, you know, and as you said, it's become different over time because you realize that that person is there, but just in a different form. Well, we, we realize we, we, we say we realize we should realize. And the trouble is that people, they're afraid to embrace that. They're afraid that they'll be disappointed. They're afraid that their friends will think they're crazy. Uh, they're afraid of a lot of things. And. And one of the things that I talk about is that we need to, um, just as we would not leave our our children, as an example, they would never leave us. And that life continues, uh, as you say, in a different form. Maureen Hancock, a terrific medium, as I know you know, says uh, not dead, just different. Mm -hmm. And and that's what we believe. And we we celebrate it every day, and we, we, we deal with it every day. We... We still have um, uh, Nikki's birthday every year. We have a birthday party, and everybody comes over, and we celebrate just as, as if he were on, quote, this side. But um, it doesn't stop for us, and it's been a wonderful, wonderful gift, that knowledge. And I've been trying to let other people know that and encourage other people to to realize that, that their loved ones are still with them. It seems like, you know, there's a lot of tragedies that occur. There's a lot of, of uh, events that, that happen uh, in, in our own history that will have a scar on our on our generation for a long time and, and will always be something that will uh, evoke a lot of emotion in people. I've never seen a story, maybe it's just living in this area, but really it, it's amazing how much the station nightclub fire touched so many people in this area because even if you didn't know somebody directly that was involved, you know somebody who knows, and you've seen firsthand uh, the emotional impact that it had. It seems like there's a really great group, a really great community that has developed around this of people who have been able to support each other and help keep each other grounded in, in, in the collective loss that everybody experienced. Yeah, well, you, you do your best. You know, one-third of the people in that fire that night um, were from Massachusetts. I don't know if you realize that. And, and uh, you know, you see how people deal with loss and deal with tragedy and deal with pogroms. Um, everybody has a different, a different approach to it. But, of course, in trying to bring the park together where we're, we're trying to See if we can help all people of all kinds of backgrounds with this. Yeah, I mean, and I know that it's probably it, 
something that you've had to go over in your own mind again and again, and even in the discussions that you've done, you've done presentations uh, about 41 Signs of Hope uh, for, for a long time now, but just kind of bring us through what it was like when, when you found out about what had happened, and, and I assume that you, you knew when everything happened. Did you know that Nick had gone there that night? Yeah, um, as a matter of fact, it was interesting because um, uh, Nikki's band was supposed to open for Great White on Friday night. The, the fire was on a Thursday. Nikki's band was supposed to open on a, on, a, on a Friday. And he was going on Thursday night to check out the room. He had actually worked that room on New Year's Eve. His band was the, the band for New Year's Eve. And um, the night before the fire, I was taking Nikki over to his girl, giving him a ride over his girlfriend's house. And I found out he wasn't getting much money for the gig. And um, I, uh, I kind of was chiding him, you know, because our whole, whole family is in show business of one form or another. And uh, I was telling him, it's show business, Nick. You've got to get your bucks, et cetera. And he was kind of rolling his eyes and saying, yeah, Dad, I know. And, and, and when we got to, the, um, to his girlfriend's house, I said, I didn't mean to pick on you, honey, but I don't know why you'd sell God's talent so short. And he gave me a hug and a kiss. He said, Dad, because the show must go on. Mm-hmm. And those were the last words my son spoke to me on this side. Um, and that next night, I was in my office, and um, Channel 10 came on, actually, and, and started to talk about this fire. They already had a, a crew there right at 11 o'clock. And I knew it was the club, of course, that he was in, and I knew where he was going. And I started calling his cell phone again and again and again, and, of course, no answer. And then it became obvious to me that there was something very wrong here. And uh, so uh, Nick's mom and I, Joanne, uh, my wife Joanne, um, and I went, tried to go down there. We couldn't get there, but they sent us to the Crown Plaza in uh, Warwick. And I I realized from my years in broadcasting, we sat there for a few minutes, and I realized they were setting up a grief counseling center. Mm. We started to see priests ministers, rabbis, and nurses, and the Red Cross, and, and I realized that this was what this was, and uh, we never did hear from, from anybody that night. Actually, we didn't hear from, from um, about Nikki at all until the following Monday. Um, we had to go back to the Crown Plaza, and I had to get, I mean, this is a horrible phrase to have to use in relationship to your son, but they asked me for his dental records so that they could identify him possibly. Again, we hadn't heard anything. And then um, on Monday, and this goes back to your your other show, on Monday, um, I was answering all of the phones and talking, uh, you know, knowing everybody in the media, they were all calling me to know what was going on. And uh, so I was answering all the phones, and, and Nick's mom's phone, cell phone went off, and it said Nikki. So I, I grabbed the phone, and, and we couldn't find him, and couldn't. Uh, there was nobody there. I called AT&T, and uh, they were kind enough to, to trace the f- call for me. The phone had been turned on at um, 10 minutes of one, uh, 10 minutes of 12, and then turned on again at 10 minutes of 3 when I saw it. Um, and I thought um, a rescue worker had, you know, found the phone and was trying to find out who it belonged to. But that night we were notified about Nick and, um, you know, they had his remains. And um, two days later when I went to the funeral home, the only thing they had with Nicky was his cell phone. 
and the cell phone didn't work. So this was Nikki letting us know that our wait was over. In, in, this, in the work that I do in, in the paranormal field, you know, that, that happens a lot where people will have a loved one pass and, and they will reach out to them afterwards. My, my co-host on Spooky South Coast, Matt Moniz, tells a story all the time about how he has received phone calls from his mom who has uh, you know, transitioned to, to the other side. And, and it, it happens more often than you realize. And for you, it must have been... Uh, what are you feeling at that moment when you realize that that's what had taken place? Do you feel relief? Well, Do you feel? Well, it was wonderful. Well, of course, well, it was wonderful. It was it was perplexing and 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 wonderful at the same time. I mean, uh, we I just knew that Nick had done this. And, and I'm going to tell you something about your show on uh, Paranormal Show. When I guested on your show, you're the one that let me know that these phone calls happen all the time because. I was telling a different story. I was telling the story that our home phone, our our landline, kept ringing um, right after the fire, and it was a, a telephone number that ended in zero 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 zero. And every time I would go there, there would be nobody there. And this went on several times. I finally, as you can imagine, I wasn't in a good mood that day, those days. And um, so I called the phone company to complain and said, I want to know who's phone number this is because I'm going to go knock on his door. And they looked at it and they said, uh, Mr. Kane, there is no such number available. So that, and I hadn't realized that that was Nikki checking in with us until you mentioned it to me mm-hmm. yeah. on the air. That was the first time I, I had realized that it was common for people to do that with landlines. So thank you. Well, no, I mean, I, I just am I'm amazed by any time that somebody can accept that for what it is and, and, and be willing. You know, because when you go through, they talk about the stages of grief and they talk about the process that it takes to be able to come to terms with what happened. And a lot of times people will get these signs and will be so quick to overlook them uh, because of just their own emotional state and also because, you know, it, it doesn't appear to be logical uh, the way that we're taught to think. So when somebody well, can be open to... brought up, exactly. We, the way we've been brought up, you know, and, and no matter what you say and how you talk about it, they're always, oh, well, there's always another explanation. It's just a coincidence. I, I butt-dialed somebody, et cetera, et cetera, you know. But, but that's the problem. It's because of how we have been brought up to think. And the fact that... Uh, you know, you see the phone, you can physically inspect the phone and, and realize there's no way that that phone made a call to anybody. You know, it, it just goes to show that it's something beyond anything that you can explain away. But nobody wants to accept that, Tim. Nobody wants to take it. They are afraid of looking foolish. And that's the thing. I call this the Santa syndrome. Uh, you know, as, as a young kid, you're you're in, involved in Santa, and then you find out that's not exactly what it's supposed to be, and the tooth fairy, and et cetera. So when we get older, especially men, I don't know why it's men, but especially men, when we get older, nobody wants to get suckered again. They would love it to be true. They want it to be true, but they don't want to get suckered into finding out that it isn't, and so they, they back off. And, and 
it does go against everything that you're taught and everything that a lot of people are led to believe. But when it's staring you in the face, and it's not like it was a one-time experience for you. And we, we have to take a break in a moment for the news. But when we come back on the other side, I'd like to get more into some of these other signs that you knew that Nikki was around. Sure. And uh, But at least today, uh, in terms of the way things are going, I know that it's been a long time running, uh, getting the memorial set up there on the site of, of the station nightclub. What, what's currently, what's the current status of everything that's been going on with that? Well, they, uh, they're attempting to raise the over $2 million that they're going to need to put this site up and running. Um, and uh, that's one of the reasons I have been trying to get media to, to pay attention to this anniversary so that people will say, oh, yeah, that's right, they're still trying to get that done. And maybe they'll be making their contributions because um, there's a long, whole long reason that it should be there, not just to remember our loved ones, uh, certainly, but also to remind people of what happens when elected officials and safety people don't do their job. When these people don't do their job, people die. And Absolutely. that's what we need to have that that part for. That's what it's really for. And, and, and that's the, the, the saddest part about it all is that it was 100% preventable had, uh, had everything just been up to code and had everything been followed to the letter of the law. I mean, the, the law is in place for a reason, and, and when you try and circumvent that, it, it can lead to bad things happening. Yeah, well, you've got to realize that this fire marshal uh, figured the occupancy of that club, not on sitting room, not on standing room, but on waiting room, the, the, the space they allow you, which is much smaller, to wait for your table, and he figured the entire um, occupancy on waiting room, which is not only illegal uh, and negligent, it, it, it's criminal, and he should have been charged. Well, we can discuss more of that and, uh, and of course, more of the 41 Signs of Hope with our guest, Dave Kane. Uh, and we'll also talk about, Dave, a little bit of the future with you here in WBSM coming up uh, in the final half hour. And welcome back, Tim Weisberg, with you. And we are talking to our guest, Dave Kane. Uh, he is a radio legend, of course, and uh, you know him from his time here on the WBSM Airwaves. And he'll be coming back uh, on occasion, too, as well, on, on a fill-in basis. And, Dave, i got to tell you, I hate to put myself into a story. Uh, you know, and as, as you know, taking things from a journalistic approach, you know, we, we don't want to insert ourselves into things. But i got to tell you what was happening during the news because yeah. it uh, – you, you'll understand this. The listeners may not understand this, but you being in, in radio would understand this. You know, on, on the board, you have the, – there's a speaker built in that's for queuing things up. So if you yeah. don't cue it in your headphones, you can cue it on this external speaker. Now, I had all the other pots down during the news except for the news pot for Greg to be able to read all the headlines. And I had everything else. Not only was, were the pots down, but I shut the lights off because I'm always afraid I'm going to – say something wrong and, and have the pot still up. So I always press the off buttons on each channel as well. Out of that cue speaker, a voice was coming through, a very staticky voice. I couldn't make out what it was saying, but something was coming through. And that's never happened before. I've never had just random static come out of the cue speaker. Peekaboo. <laughs> and at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm on Facebook messaging my spooky South Coast co-host, Stephanie Burke, who is a spirit medium, and I'm telling her what's going on, and she's like, why are you even surprised by this? Like, don't you realize what's going on? Yeah. So, yeah, as I said, I hate... I'm the same way, you know, I'm the same way you say about being surprised. Or, I mean, when, before I wrote the book about Nick, um, for the longest time, I wrote all of these, well, what we used to call coincidences, 
um, much of it I used to write off to my sorrow or my my imagination or my need to, to know Nick's okay. So in the beginning, I just kind of wrote her off like that. But then they piled up and piled up so much that I could no longer ignore it. And I had to decide that I was going to, to do something about it. And that's where the book came from. And the book is called 41 Signs of Hope, and you can get it from DaveKane.net. Uh, you can get it as an ebook, uh, and you, you can get the physical copy. So it's all how you want to read. You know, these days, most people want to get things instantaneously, so the ebook is available. But there's a reason why it's called 41 Signs of Hope, because that number had a very significant role in, in, in Nikki's life and in the time since uh, the Station Nightclub tragedy. Yeah, well, it, it did, yeah. Um, before Nick passed, of course. He would see the number 41, and he became enamored with it. We didn't know why, and he didn't know why. Um, uh, his brother Chris, who you've had on the show, um, he um, tried to help him. We looked into numerology. We couldn't find any connection to Nick or, or to his lifestyle, etc. Well, when Nicky passed, he was 18 and 23 days, 41. The station nightclub is at latitude 41.41. The fire call box at the station is 4414. And on the cover of my book is a, is a sketch of Nikki, my friend Charlie Alden. And it's from a videotape we found a year after Nikki passed. And in the videotape, his mom is holding him. He has a little baseball uniform on, and the number on the cap is 41. Wow. And, <laughs> and it starts there. And then we have, we have gotten so many different signs, which I'll tell you some about, but... Uh, many of them around the number 41. Uh, as an example, my wife was driving home one day, and they had one of those portable radar units on that shows you how fast you're going, you know. And there was a car be uh, in front of her, and she was right behind the car. car in front of her went by and went to 26 miles an hour. My wife went by and went to 41. <laughs> and then I went back to whatever it was doing because she had gone by it by then. So these are the some of the things that have happened, and it, and it doesn't stop, and it's been a, it's, it's astounding. See now in, in paranormal research, we're you know we train ourselves to be skeptical of, of certain things, and and one of the big things that comes up a lot of time is the eleven eleven time prompt phenomena. A friend of mine wrote an entire book about it. How people will become kind of obsessed with that number, and, and will be you know they'll always look up at the clock and it's eleven eleven, or they'll look around they'll see an eleven. These kind of things happen because uh, it becomes a thing in our mind, so therefore it becomes a thing outside of our mind, if you get what I'm saying, because we're focusing in on it. Well, you know, kind of like blue car syndrome. Uh, you know, you buy a blue car, and now all of a sudden you're seeing blue cars all over the road, or you see the same blue car that you bought all over the road when you never would have noticed it before. So those kind of things happen. But the messages that you got are so different than that, because it's not something that you could just be internalizing and connecting. It's something that's being pushed into your face and, and saying, like, yeah, yeah, look, it, here I am. It really is stuff that we, we could no longer uh, ignore. I mean, I mean, uh, just uh, things that, you know, it's funny you use 1111 because 1111 is four ones. Uh, and, and, uh, and you're right. I mean, you, we are definitely keyed into it. We definitely notice it. We definitely are, are, are tuned to it. But that doesn't take away the fact that it comes up when it does. I mean, uh, the only difference would be that it would come up and then we wouldn't notice it. But it's still, it's still there. And that's one of the things that we've learned from this. Um, and and I, I don't know how many different 
um, stories I can tell you. Let me see if I can come up with. Well, I'll give you. I, I, I maybe I give you my favorite. Sure. Um, I say one, one of my favorites. Um, my wife worried that Nikki suffered in the blaze. She worried that he fell in the flames. She worried that he had pain. It drove her crazy. And every medium we've been to, and we've been to some tremendous mediums, every medium we have been to said to us, no pain. That was the phrase they used, no pain. When we asked them about it, they'd say no pain. When we didn't ask, they would offer on their own, no pain. So I was hoping that that would make Joanne feel better, but still, every now and then, she would start to worry about it, as you can imagine a mother would. Um, about five years ago, we were um, tagging a Christmas tree. Nikki loved doing that, so we every year we go and we tag a Christmas tree. And this particular day, we went, and Joanne was in that mode. And, uh, and, and you know, Tim, being the loving, caring husband that I am, I was screaming at her. Um, <laughs> and I was trying to say to her, listen, when are you going to get it? This kid is trying to tell you that he had no pain. Every medium we've been to, Robert Brown, no pain. Cindy Gilman, no pain. Maureen Hancock, no pain. Lisa Powers, no pain, no pain, no pain. Roland Comfort, no pain. Everybody, no pain. And we get in the car, and she's driving, and we're driving up Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln, Rhode Island. And I say to her, for God's sakes, Joanne, what do you want this kid to do? Put it in writing? And as soon as I said that, a car coming from the other direction had the vanity plate, no pain. That is incredible. And it is owned by an anesthesiologist in Lincoln, Rhode Island. <laughs> we, we, we got the, I got the, the plate chased. And uh, he was kind enough to give us permission to use the picture of his plate in my book and in, in the talks that I do, which are, by the way, free to anybody. If any organization would like to have me come, they're free. I just come and tell everybody because Nick wants people to know that all of this is real. Uh, and so, so here we are, we're looking at, at this plate that said, no pain. Can you imagine what we were thinking? And it, we were it, laughing and crying at the same time. It was amazing. I mean, some folks will say, you know, that it's when, when you can't let someone go, that it kind of holds you back, uh, that when, when someone passes it from, from this plane to the next and, and people yeah. can't, can't let go of the pain associated, can't let go of the, the, the grief that's associated with it, that it can hold you back as a person. But it sounds like with you and your family, it was the complete opposite, that what has been surrounding you ever since has helped you grow spiritually and helped you become better people as a result of the signs that you're seeing from Nikki. Well, yeah, but also I can't understand how anybody would say let them go. You know, one of the words that I absolutely despise is closure. You know, be well, I need closure. Well, what does that mean? I mean, if, if your child were on this side and they left the house, would you just slam the door and say, see you later? Or would you? I mean, you'd be looking for them, wouldn't you? Absolutely. If your loved one passed, I mean, it's the same thing. It's so funny. People challenge this stuff, Tim. But if you lost your car keys, you'd be going around looking for them. But you're not looking for your son, your daughter, your lover, your 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 mom, your dad. I mean, these people are here. We are the ones are, that are blocked. Uh, and just as they would never leave you, you shouldn't be leaving them. And that's what we're trying to be positive about. We're not delusional. We know our son is past. But it's what does that mean, past? What does it mean? 
that's the conversation to have. Yeah, and I think that the the common uh, belief is that they've passed from existence, but it's not. They've just passed from one version to the next. And, and you know, and I, I remember talking about it with uh, with Bob Olson on Spooky South Coast, or you've been on his Afterlife TV, where you know, it's not just a matter of passing from one version of yourself to another. How about passing as in passing a grade, graduating, graduating from where you are on this existence and graduating to a much more enlightened one? Yeah, and, and and it's interesting because we we have we have of course uh, changed our thought process. Uh, every once in a while, somebody said asked me the other night if we ever go to our our sons uh, to the cemetery, and we do. We visit once in a while, make sure it's nice and neat, etc. And then when we leave, my wife says, "Okay, come on, Nick," mm-hmm. <laughs> and he leaves with us. You know, I mean, uh, Bob Olson. By the way, I got to thank Bob. You know, we did that interview there. I've had over 80,000 hits on that interview, and I have had conversations and been contacted from literally all over the world, all over the world, France and Bulgaria and Sweden and Germany and France and you name it. I have been contacted by people who share this, this experience or believe that they do or want to or are afraid that they haven't. And... This is, so this phenomenon can't just be all of our imagination because it's all over the world. And there are so, so many parallels to this, so many parallels, uh, people leaving dimes and nickels and quarters and, and feathers and, and, and numbers. Numbers are very big, as you know, Tim. Numbers are huge. Um, license plates, very important. So all of this is real. It's it's not imaginary. Uh, I, I state my own life on it. I know that it's real. You know, our son wrote a play a year before he died called They Walk Among Us. The play is about teenagers who die and come back as angels. And he knew then what, what I'm telling everybody now, that uh, for, our own, for our own religious purposes, I will say to you that Nikki believed that that the Lord's promise of eternal life is real because he's living it, and he's letting us know that, too. And, this, and, and speaking of that, and I'm rambling now, but speaking of that, you've got to realize that this stuff, one of the things that stops people from embracing this is the training that they've had that this is of the devil, mm-hmm. of the occult. But you need to know that, and everybody needs to hear me when I say, a good spirit, whatever you call it, a positive, good, and loving spirit is bringing my son to me and helping my son to communicate with us. And that can't be from the devil. What's the plus for the devil if there were a devil, which I don't believe there's a devil, but uh, <laughs> if there were a bad sight, they wouldn't be doing this. And, and it's not just the, the good that it's brought to yourself and to your family. It's the good that you're able to bring to other people by sharing this story and by having them realize, maybe I should be more alert for these signs in, in my own life and with my own loved ones. So it goes beyond well, it, just... It's for the, yeah, it's important for them to have validation. You know, you know, we talk about you know people thinking, I'm off my tree. You know, everybody thinks I'm off my nut, but I've made a career out of it for years. But, but you know, you realize that when people get validation that they're not crazy, that it isn't their sorrow that's making them imagine that their husband or, or loved one is there. It really is them. 
and we have to be open to it. We have to to have the nerve to say it. Uh, we talk out loud uh, to Nick. Um, we don't allow people to to um, you know they can give us that look, but they're the ones losing out. And I know that Nick wants us to to share this. Not so I'm getting interviewed on the radio, but so other people can know that their loved ones are with them. The ones who are the deepest hurt, who miss the most, are the ones who probably are surrounded with their loved ones the most. But they're so sorrowful that they're not, they're not realizing it. But, uh, so if people do want to reach out and, and get in touch with you, uh, is there another way besides the website that they can do so? Well, that's, that's the best way to do it is davecane.net, very simple. And uh, my phone number is there. My email is there. Um, I'm more than happy to speak with anybody. If the caller you lost would like to, um, to go to the website, they can uh, ask me the question uh, in person. They can just call me. And I'd love to talk to anybody. I I'm, I'm, want people to know that their loved ones have gone nowhere. They're with us. They love us. They care about us. And they want us happy. And we have to open ourselves to it and give them the chance to prove it to us. All right. I think the caller is back, so we'll try this uh, again. Okay. Good morning. You're on with Dave Kane. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? We have about three minutes left. Okay. I'll, I'll try to keep it quick. I'm, I'm trying to keep an open mind about what I'm listening to this morning, but I guess... My main question would be, if our loved ones from the other side have this ability to communicate with us, why do they do it in such obscure ways that we could you know, possibly interpret as just mere coincidences? Why don't they do it in a way that's undeniably clear? Great well, first, there's two reasons for that. First of all, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what it takes for them to do what they do accomplish. You know, I'm not sure exactly how that's done. Secondly... So much of it is is us. We're the ones that are not receiving it. We're the ones that are not getting it. We're the ones that are not understanding it. We say it's convoluted. It might be crystal clear, uh, but we're the ones that, that, don't, that lack the ability. And that's what I'm trying to get people to do is to be more open to it, to open to the possibilities. And um, let me ask you a question. Uh, what do you have to lose by acting and pretending in the beginning that all of this is possible. Well, what I have to lose is my self-respect for myself. Wait a minute, self-respect about what? Self-respect about trying to live with the truth. I mean, that's important to me. I try to well, live with yeah, the truth. Well, but the truth is not, you don't necessarily know the truth about this, do you? No, but I'm trying, you're right. I'm trying to keep an open mind about it. Okay, so, so, my, so my question is, that if you err on the side of being open to it in the sense that you act and move as if you believe it. You know, in the Bible it says, act as if ye have faith. Well, that's my problem, I guess. I don't have a lot of faith in things. I have to, like, ah, yeah, I need a little so proof. This is not about the people on the other side. It's about your lack of faith. Well, but lack of faith makes sense. I mean, it, it, you have to have some little bit of proof in life to be confident that the things that you're believing in are true. The problem with that, your, your premise is to say that you know what truth is. No, I don't know. I don't know what ah, it is. So therefore, <laughs> you need therefore you need to be open to it. Just because it doesn't fit into your concept of what you believe to be fact, you know, we can be wrong about it, right? No, you're absolutely uh, right. I could be yeah, wrong. And so all I'm suggesting is that you open yourself up to it, and instead of looking at something and saying whatever it is. Uh, and saying, "Oh, that's just coincidence, right off, right off the hip." All right. Well, thank you for the call. Think about it. Thank you very much. All right. Take, okay. Take care. I guess we discovered them. <laughs>
<laughs> Sorry there. I'm just about out of time. We only have about a minute left, Dave, but I wanted to Dave. give you a chance to let people know that they'll be hearing more of you here on WBSM. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been asked uh, by the um, management to, to come in and do some fill-in work. So if somebody, uh, you know, breaks a bites the tongue or falls down the stairs or something, uh, I, I may be doing some of the fill-in work there, and maybe I'll get a chance to uh, finally meet you in person, Tim. That'll be great. We definitely have to set that up uh, maybe at one of your presentations coming up, or maybe right. we'll just bring you up here to, to give a presentation uh, to reintroduce you to the local South Coast audience. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. We'll do that. I, I just have one question, though. Where were you last Saturday night when I slipped and fell in the studio and hurt my hand? I could have used you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've got your well, number now, so I'll, I'll yeah, make sure I call you if that well, happens. Well, it's when you fall down and break your tongue, you've got to call me. Not <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Dave, for okay, joining thank us. Thank you, Tim. And we Bye-bye. will talk to you again real soon.